good morning, church. If you would take your copy of God's Word, turn to Matthew 15. We'll be reading verses 1 through 20. And you may be able to follow there on the screen. Not sure, but it begins like this. It says, Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? But they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And it's a joy to be able to come and worship alongside of you guys today and to dive into the text together. Thank you, brother. Uh, so as we jump into Matthew 15 this morning, uh, we have just the honor, as we have every week, of being able to worship God together and the gift that that is for his people, uh, especially on days like today. And so as, as we're jumping into this passage uh, this morning, Jesus begins to speak uh, about the heart. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, Jesus, Jesus in the heart. And we see this kind of throughout chapter 15, but especially in these passages, Jesus begins breaking down and, and expanding the understanding of his audience, of his hearers, of the disciples and of us, what does it mean to follow God with our heart? What does God think about when he sees the heart? Why does the heart matter to God? And we see that in this text. And I think we see that also just in our own lives as well. How many of you, and you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have ever had 
uh, an experience where someone spoke to you, someone told you something, and you knew that God was speaking through that person to you. Uh, and I'm not talking about something like mystical, a weird feeling, or a weird, weird moment, but I'm talking about one of those times when someone speaks to you and you know it's from the Lord because they're speaking God's word directly to you. And God's opening your eyes to see something unique that's happening there. That, that happened to me back uh, in 2008, a, a while ago. My wife and I had moved uh, to Raleigh, North Carolina to start seminary there. And um, we were trying to refigure out our lives. And so we were, I started attending a church called Providence Baptist Church. And uh, I'd worked in the student ministry, actually grown up here at Tri-Cities, which was really cool to be serving here and now where we grew up. Uh, But when we went there, we began kind of plugging in, trying to find out how we could get involved. And so I was talking to one of the student pastors, and he took me out for for coffee. And I was leading worship back uh, in that day. And so we were talking about how I could get involved in doing that in the student ministry. And so we were having this conversation. In the middle of the conversation, uh, we're talking about me serving there. And and the pastor I was talking to stops me, and he says, Hey, I I just want to make sure you understand something really, really important. And these words have always stuck with me. He said, he said this, if at the end of this three years, the three years I was going to be at seminary, three years at least that I would be at Providence, he said, if you don't love Jesus more, love your wife more, if your marriage isn't stronger, if your walk with God is not stronger, at the end of these three years than right now, you have failed God and we have failed you. And in that moment, that was just a gut check for my heart because in the months and really year kind of leading up to us going to seminary, ministry for me and trying to become a pastor and those things become an idol in my life. That it was, I was putting that in front of my marriage, I was putting that in front of my abiding, I was putting that in front of so many things and I was so eager moving to this new city, a new place to try to find a place for me to lock in and use my gifts and find affirmation and find meaning and do this thing I felt like I was called to do. And in that moment, God used this person to speak to my heart the truth and reality that's all throughout Scripture that we are called to first and foremost love God with our all. And I lost sight of that. I, I'd gotten distracted by that. I was pursuing something good. I was pursuing ministry. What, what could be better than pursuing ministry and helping lead people in worship and tell people about Jesus? But there was a problem. Ministry would become my Savior, not Jesus. And even though I was chasing something good, the heart, the motive, the desires of my heart were not, were not good. And as we dive into this text this morning, this is what Jesus is addressing with the Pharisees and religious leaders. This is what Jesus is addressing with the crowds and with the disciples, which is our big truth this morning. It's really simple when it's this. God sees the heart. God sees the heart. We know from Scripture, and we know from 2 Samuel, or from 1 Samuel, sorry, that, that, that God says that man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And we see that in this passage, it was read just a few minutes ago. Matthew 15, 7 through 8 says this, You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That's a warning passage to us this morning, brothers and sisters. As as we come here and we worship our, our King, that there is a way for us to sing songs of praise to God. 
there's a way for us to say we want to glorify God or we want to live for God and our words express these desires, but our heart not to be in what we're saying. And that God looks past our words and God looks at the heart. God sees the heart. And we see this theme throughout Scripture. I'll just give a few examples. I just read a second ago, Matthew, or 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Psalm 139, 1 through 4 says this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Listen to this. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. God knows things about you and about me that we don't even know about ourselves. God knows the very intent and desire that's happening within us that we have to search and struggle to try to figure out and weed out like what's really going on inside of us. God sees it. God knows it. God knows us to the root and core of who we are. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37 and 38, being asked, what, what is the greatest commandment? Rabbi, teacher, tell us what you see to be the greatest commandment in the law. Jesus answers and says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your soul, with all your mind, this is the great and the first commandment. And so here we see that God sees the heart. God cares about the heart. God wants your heart. God wants my heart. And so in this passage, we begin to see this idea that that God looks at something that man often doesn't look at. Not just man on the outside, but But we often don't take into account what's going on inside our heart. God cares about that. So just given some context as we're coming to this point in the narrative in Matthew, Jesus is is finishing up his ministry around Galilee. So in chapter 15 and chapter 16, Jesus is going to be traveling around the Sea of Galilee and he's going to be doing miracles and he's going to be teaching, but this is kind of the end. Jesus is beginning to reshift his gaze. Soon he will be headed to Jerusalem. Soon he will be headed to the cross. And as he moves toward Jerusalem, the confrontation between Jesus and the religious leaders is going to escalate. And one of the main driving conversations that begins now and will continue on through the Gospel of Matthew is Jesus challenging the heart, the motive, the desire behind the religious leaders. And calling the disciples and calling the crowd and calling us this morning to examine our heart. And when we talk about the heart, we're not just talking about our feelings or God bless his heart or something like that. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the whole mind, the whole being, the whole desires of a person. That's what scripture understands the heart to be. And so there's this question that's underneath this passage this morning. It's a really important question. We'll circle back at the end of the message this morning to this question. But it's a question that we should all be answering. And the question's this. What has your heart this morning? What has your heart? Who has your heart? What are you hoping in? What are you looking to this morning to satisfy the desires 
of your soul this morning? What has your heart? And Jesus is beginning to expose to us and to the people in this passage what it means for our heart to belong to Jesus. So as Jesus is doing this ministry in Galilee, there are Pharisees and scribes who are sent from Jerusalem, a delegation that are sent to Jesus. And they've come to question him. They've come to challenge his authority. And they, and they do it on the issue of purification, on hand washing. And so, as we've already read in this passage, they come and ask Jesus, why do your disciples not wash their hands before they eat? And in doing this, they are saying that they are breaking a law. They're breaking one of the traditions that have been given orally by the elders to the people to pursue purification. So they're not just questioning the disciples, but they're, they're questioning Jesus himself. Because as the disciple goes, the disciple follows the rabbi, the teacher. So if the disciples are living in such a way that is breaking this law, breaking this tradition, then Jesus must be allowing them to do so. So they are coming trying to trap and accuse Jesus based on this purification. Jesus responds in two ways. First, he addresses the heart of the religious leaders. We're going to look at that in just a second. And then second, he teaches the crowd and the disciples what causes a person's heart to become defiled, what causes the heart to become broken and impure, to not be set apart for God. And so there's two questions that I want us to kind of look at and answer from this text this morning. The first one is this, what does Jesus teach us about the heart. And what we're going to do is walk through this passage and I'm just going to pull out five big ideas that we see in this text that teach us about your heart and my heart and how our hearts respond to the truth, how our hearts are prone to wander. And then the second question is the one I mentioned already, and that's probably the most important question this morning that any of us could ask. What has your heart this morning? What has your heart this morning? And so here's what I want to encourage you to do is we walk through this passage. Uh, if you've grown up around church, you've probably heard someone say, man looks at outward appearance, God sees the heart. I get it. God sees the heart. God knows what's going on inside me. I'm there. I'm with you. I get it. We're good. I just want to encourage you this morning, the Pharisees, the scribes in this passage, the ones who knew this book the best, who knew the law, they missed it. They missed it. They were so focused on keeping one portion of the law that they missed their heart before God. And friends, that serves as a warning to us as we come into this text this morning that if we're not careful, if the Holy Spirit does not help us open our eyes to see the truths of this passage, we too will see but not understand. We will hear but not truly hear. So I just want to ask again that the Holy Spirit would help us. Would you pray with me, Father? We ask, Holy Spirit, this morning that you would open our eyes to see the truth of your word. God, please help me to be helpful this morning. And help us to follow you with a whole heart and life centered on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So what does Jesus teach us about the heart? Five big ideas really quickly as we walk through our text. First is this, the heart is prone to value religion over obedience. So this is a warning for you and for me this morning. The heart is prone to value religion over obedience. If you have your copy of God's word, look with me. Verse 1, then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, 
why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Now, it's really important note. It's not the commands of Scripture, but the traditions of the elders. So without taking a whole lot of time, what had happened since God had given the law to Moses and the Torah that the Pharisees and scribes and teachers of the law and religious leaders over time had added all kinds of laws to the law. And these laws that had been added, they were added with the intention of helping the people follow God, helping the people remain pure, helping the people pursue God. That's what religion does. Religion are practices of worship, practices of orthodoxy that are designed to help steer our hearts back to God. But the problem is, over time, the religious leaders begin emphasizing these commands, these doctrines, these traditions made by men over obedience to God's word itself. And friends, this is a trap for us too. This is something our heart is prone to do, is to replace obeying and obedience with religion, to replace these outward works, these, these things of doing, trying to honor and please God, these safeguards that we try to put in our lives, these traditions, that those become the thing that we pursue or reject in order to honor God instead of obedience to his word. So the religious leaders, they ask this question, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Look at Jesus' response. He answered, verse 3, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? So Jesus says back, in trying to hold up your traditions, you've actually undermined obedience to God's word. That you've prioritized one over the other and you have used one to allow you to justify breaking the other. And then Jesus goes through an example. He talks about the fifth commandment, that we are called to love the Lord or honor our father and mother. And what he says in verse 4 is that God commanded, honor your father and mother and whoever reviles a father and mother must surely die. Verse 5, but you say, if anyone tells his father or mother what you've gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you've made void the word of God. What's Jesus talking about? Well, the religious leaders had added a law, it was the law of Corbin, and this law said that if someone wanted to give their money to God, to the temple, and entrust it to the temple, they would not have to give it to their parents. And so this law was created, and on the surface it looked holy, it looked good. I would take my money, I would, it's going to be held aside, set apart for the temple service. But really the heart behind it was, I don't want to take care of my parents. I don't want to have to give my funds to help them. So if I put it in this category, it's untouchable by everyone else. And so what Jesus is doing, he's calling out their hypocrisy. They're holding these traditions that are man-made traditions over the disciples while at the same time breaking the very clear command of Scripture that God had given to his people. And friends, this is important because Jesus says multiple times here and he warns us that this is not right. Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? In verse 6, for the sake of your tradition you have made the word of God or the law of God void. Then jump down to verse 9. In vain do they worship me, quoting Isaiah, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. This is a warning to you, this is a warning to me. What's the warning? That our heart is prone to value religion over obedience. To value practice over obedience. Well, is religion 
bad? Is it is wrong? Is it, a, is it a bad thing? Well, not necessarily. Religion can be a really good thing. Again, religion is practice. It's worship. It's, it's, it's practices that are supposed to help you follow God. James 1.24 talks about pure and undefiled religion. It talks about how it's loving widows and it's serving orphans and it's keeping oneself unstained for the world. So religion that helps you obey God is good. The problem is religion and tradition and practice can replace obedience to God. This is warning for them, but this is a warning for us. So let me just try to make some practical application here. Let me just give you a few, four common types of religion that I think we see in our culture, I think we see in our area, and honestly, probably here in the church that you and I struggle with or we're going to have to wrestle with. The first type of religion is this. It's tradition. Traditions. For some of us, we were raised that certain traditions, there are certain things that you are supposed to do if you love the Lord. My parents and I, sometimes we laugh. I I can remember growing up, my favorite nights of the year, my favorite time going to church was mission trip Sundays. Because on mission trip Sundays, I got to wear a t-shirt to church. It was awesome. It was the one day I didn't have to wear a collar. I could put the t-shirt on because we were all wearing the team shirt. Because on Sunday, you dress your best for God, right? And again, the motive behind that is a good motive. It's trying to honor God, but if not careful, it becomes legalistic tradition that you have to wear this thing or do this thing or we use this type of instruments instead of those types of instruments or we use this version of God's Word instead of that version of God's Word or we do these things in service instead of those things in service. And if we're not careful, all of a sudden we've put tradition over obedience. It's a warning. That's a type of religion. It's tradition. Here's a second type of religion that we see in our culture. And I see very much among my generation. It's anti-tradition. Anti-tradition. So there's some of us who've grown up, we've seen the, the, the bad side of certain traditions. And so we push the other way and you push the other way and that becomes a new kind of religion. So I'm going to dress more the other way. I'm going to do more the other thing. Because I have freedom in Christ, we're going to do it like this. And if you don't do it like this, then you're not honoring the Lord because you're being legalistic. So another type of religion that can replace obedience is anti-tradition. I'm going to push back against the things that I've seen before. Let me give you a third example. A third example of religion in the church is man-made doctrine. Man-made doctrine. I I love theology. I love systematic theology. I love study of God's Word. And men have put together certain doctrines to help us understand and make sense of God's Word. But it's easy to elevate a doctrine over obedience. So take something like Arminianism or Calvinism. When I first came back to Tri-Cities from Southeastern living in Raleigh, that was an issue that was happening in our church. Some said, you need to be Arminian. Some say, you need to be Calvinist, or you need to be opposite, or you reject one or versus the other. Both of those things are doctrines of men. They're man-made doctrines. We don't ascribe to man-made doctrines. We ascribe to the Word of God. The Word of God guides our hearts. It guides our lives. We begin to elevate a doctrine over the Word of God. Fourth type of religion that's common in the church is spiritual mysticism. Spiritual mysticism. I felt the Holy Spirit telling me this. I had a peace in my heart about this. Follow, you got to be true to yourself. Follow your heart. Do what's good to you. Follow the leading within you. 
And all of a sudden, this idea begins to seep into the church. And instead of obedience to God's word, we follow what we feel. We follow what seems right to us. We follow what we think God would want us to do. When scripture's very clear on what, how we're called to live and what we're called to be. And so again, in and of itself, religion isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's, it's practices meant to help us worship and adore God. But friends, anytime a religion, anytime a tradition or anti-tradition or a doctrine or a feeling takes precedent over God's word, over obedience to what God has clearly said in Scripture, it is wrong. And in this passage, we see that these religious leaders, they had lost sight of obedience to God and replaced obedience with their tradition. So again, religion is not a bad thing, but it can be placed as something that keeps us from God. So let me just give you two problems with religion, two things that we need to be aware of as we're examining our own hearts and our own practice. The first one is this, religion often replaces obedience. We need to constantly ask ourselves, is this thing helping me obey God's word? Or am I valuing it above God's word? Am I holding people to a standard that scripture doesn't even call them to? A second problem with religion that we need to be aware of and that Jesus exposes in this passage is this. Religion often leads to distortion and rejection of God's word if we're not careful. It can lead to a distortion and rejection of God's word. Even here, Jesus is exposing that. God had given this clear commandment to love and honor your father and your mother. And they had twisted that to mean something else. They had twisted the law to their own end. They had twisted the law to their own gain. Brothers and sisters, I just want to warn us this morning... Anytime someone twists, distorts, changes God's word to line up with what they want in their life, it's disobedience, it's false teaching. We need to be a people of the book. We need to be a people who love God's word. So let me just give you a couple points of application. First one is this, we need to know God's word. We need to know God's word. We need to be people who know the word of God. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. No, I've come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus came to fulfill the law, that God's word stands, that one jot and tittle is not going to be removed. All of God's word matters for all of life. Know the word. That's why we put study groups out in front of you. That's why we raise up and say, come be a part of the gathering every week to be under the teaching of God's word. That's why we call one another to personal abiding in the word. A second application point is this, and this is so important. Obey and submit to God's word. Obey and submit to God's word. See, the religious leaders, they were putting themselves over the word instead of putting themselves under the word. And we we personally don't like the word submission, especially in our culture. We don't like that word. But in Scripture, submission is a love word. It's a protection word. It's a caring word. And friends, God's word is clear on how we are to live our lives. 
So we put ourselves under the authority of God's word. The heart is prone to value religion over obedience. Be warned. Because that can lead to a life lived in opposition to this gospel that we hold so dear. It's really quiet in the room this morning. So, we're, we're, so you're thinking through this. Wrestle through this. Wrestle through what, how could this play out in your life? Are there any traditions? Are there any doctrines? Are there any things that you've developed that you have made and elevated to the point of God's word that it guides you instead of God's word? Be warned. Guard your heart against this temptation. Which leads to a second big idea, and we'll move faster through these other ones. second big idea is this. The heart is prone to value affirmation over devotion. The heart is prone to value affirmation over devotion. Look at verse 8. Quoting Isaiah, Jesus says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Friends, that's a warning to us. That there's a way for us to praise Jesus with our mouths, to be religious with our mouths, to speak things that are true, while our heart is not honoring and pursuing and loving and desiring and cherishing and adoring God. And the word that he uses in the preceding verse is hypocrites. Hypocrites. Someone who's playing a part. Someone who is acting. We've seen this word before in Matthew 6. Jesus said, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. But now, for the first time, Jesus is taking the word hypocrites and he's applying it to the religious leaders. And this will not be the last time that Jesus calls the Pharisees and the scribes hypocrites. That with their mouths they said one thing, but their hearts were pursuing something else. And it's easy to affirm what is true, to affirm what is right, while not being devoted to the one true God. Be warned, brother and sister. Examine your heart, brother and sister. We live in a culture that values affirmation almost above anything else. That if we will say and affirm the right things and affirm what culture says and affirm what makes people feel good and feel loved, then we are loving, then we are doing what's right. But what Jesus says, it's not about what you affirm. It's not about what your lips say. It's not about the honor you give with your mouth. But it's about the heart, and God sees the heart. So let me just give a, a couple of examples of this and how this happens here, it happens in our lives. We'll sing songs like we just sang Glory, glory, we have no other king than Jesus. We'll have no other king than Jesus. But I don't know if I can be generous with my finances. We'll say with our mouths, he is the one true king, that he is better than riches, he is better than treasure. But friends, do we show that with our hearts, with our lives, do with what we give, with our devotion? Do we lay down our income, lay down our paycheck, lay down our home, lay down our possessions to advance God's glory? Is he our king? Or is money our king? Does he have our lip service or does he have our devotion? Does he have our heart? I'll give another one. And I'm not just speaking to you on these things. I'm speaking to my heart on these things as I'm walking through it. We'll sing songs like, you have no rival. You have no equal. You are above all. You are greater than all. You are worthy of it all. But I don't know if I can take time away from work or 
my kids' ball game, to pursue community, pursue my life group, to pursue the gathering, to take time to be still and know that He is God in your own life and rhythm. Don't have time to read the Word, don't have time to study. And with our lips, we proclaim that He has no rival and He has no equal, but the reality is there are other rivals and other equals that we give time and attention and treasure to. Our words versus our heart, our words versus our actions. How often have I said to someone, this is confession, someone shares something here that's going on in their life, and I say, I'll be praying for you. I'll pray for you. How often have I forgotten to actually pray for them? And with our words, we speak affirmation, we speak truth, we speak these things that are good, but our hearts are not aimed at full devotion to God. Brothers and sisters, be warned. Your heart, my heart, is prone to value affirmation, saying the good thing and the right thing, over devotion. God looks at the heart. God sees the heart. God wants your heart and my heart, not just our affirmation. Is there anything that you wouldn't be, delayed, you wouldn't be willing to lay down for Jesus? That's a devotion question. So we see here that the heart is prone to value religion over obedience. Second, the heart is prone to value affirmation over devotion. Let's go to a third big idea, which is this. Sin originates in the heart. Third thing Jesus teaches us about the heart is this, that sin originates in the heart. Look at verses 10 through 11. And he called the people to him, pulling them close. And he says, hear and understand. So don't just listen to me. You need to take this in. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. And skipping down to verses 18 and 19. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. This is important. Jesus says it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles, but it is what comes out of the mouth. It's what comes from the heart that defiles a person. What's Jesus saying? That brokenness and sin come from within us. It's not from participation in this thing. Or it's not because someone put pressure on us or made life really hard so we reacted this way. No, it's what's within us. It's this idea that's, that sin and depravity, that they are united with us. That we are born with a sin nature and that comes out throughout our lives. Our problem is not what's around us. Our problem is what is within us. And Jesus uses an example in verse 17. He says, whatever you eat, whatever comes into your mouth, it's just going to get taken out of your body. I don't know, kids, for those kids who are in the room, how many times you've ever gotten in trouble for, like, bathroom talk in the house. Anyone ever have that issue? We have that issue in our house. You know, Jesus uses some bathroom talk as an illustration here. He literally, what goes into the mouth comes out into the latrine or to the toilet. He's saying these things don't defile us, not from what's on the outside in, but what's on the inside out is what calls, causes brokenness and sin. The word defilement here literally means uh, to, to, to become impure or to not be set apart or literally to make common, to make common. 
And it's us idea given from the Old Testament that God's people were called to be holy as he is holy, to be pure as he is pure, to be without stain, without blemish as he is. And so to sin is to make common. It is to not be holy. It is not to be set apart for God. And Jesus is really clear that this comes from within us. This is important for us to understand brokenness and sin is not due to our circumstances. It's due to what's going on inside our heart. I have four kids. All four of them are very different. All four of them have huge strengths, and I love them all four equally. But We've tried to teach them so many things, but one thing I've not had to teach any of my four kids to do is disobey. They learn that one all on their own. And it wasn't by watching someone else, it wasn't by figuring out, it's just what we do. Why? Because sin originates within us. It's from our sin nature and our desire to pursue something other than what God has given us. And look at the list that Jesus gives here. All of these things originate from within. Let's just walk through them real quickly. Evil thoughts. What does that originate from? Selfish ambition. Selfish ambition, desire for myself outside of what God has called me to. Murder, what does that originate from? Self-protection, vindication, anger over being hurt by someone else. Adultery and sexual immorality, that's self-satisfaction. Apart from seeking satisfaction through God and His means, it's trying to find it on my own from myself. False witness, that's lying. Self-protection, trying to get something or trying to protect myself uh, from whatever might happen to me. Slander, self-exaltation. I'm going to put someone else down to lift myself up. Well, where do these things come from? They come from the heart. They come inside you. They come from inside me. Friends, why is this important? Why is Jesus talking about this? This is so important for us. Our brokenness comes from within us. It's not something we can solve with religion. It's not something we can solve from being better, trying harder, doing more. We have to deal with the heart if we're ever going to deal with our own brokenness and sin. This is what Jesus is bringing out. This is what he wants us to see, that sin comes from within. We need an accurate assessment of our condition. Holiness is not based on a personal standard. Holiness is based on God's standard, on what God says is true, on what God says is right. The, recognize that the greatest sinner in your home, in your marriage, and in your life is not someone around you, but it is you. It is me. We are. Sin in God's eyes is not first and foremost about the offense itself, but about the one we are offending, the one we are usurping, the one that we are pushing aside to pursue our own way. And this is what sin does to us. Which leads to a fourth big idea, which is this. Our words reveal our heart. Our words reveal reveal our heart. Look at verse 11 again. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles person. Our words, our words condemn us. Our words reveal what's really going on inside of us. 
Jesus talked about this earlier in Matthew chapter 12. He said this, uh, You brood of vipers, who can speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you want to know what's going on in your heart, listen to your words. If you want to know what's happening within you, listen to what's coming out of your mouth. Jesus goes on in Matthew 12, 36-37 to say, I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. That's scary, right? For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Then James 1, 26, If anyone thinks his, he is religious, that he's religious, he's honoring God, he's pursuing right practice, and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart. Deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. It's worthless. It's it's meaningless. Friends, if we want to know what's going on inside our heart, listen to what's coming out of your mouth. Our words matter. They reveal what's happening to us on the inside. We see this in the religious leaders. Their words condemn them. And friends, our words condemn us. Our words show what's really happening inside our hearts. John Piper once said, When our mouths are empty with the praise of God or the praise of others, it's probably because our hearts are full of love for self. The mouth reveals the heart. So a couple points of application for this one. Here's one. What do your words reveal about your heart? What do your words reveal about your heart? Friend, if you could go back and play the tape on this week and re-listen to what came out of your mouth, what would that say about your heart? What would that say about my heart? Second point of application. I just want to talk to believers for a moment. For some of you, you might be listening through this and, and even reading through this, and it's just discouraging. Because you know your heart. And you know some of the things that you've said this week. And it just is discouraging again and again and again because you just feel like again and again and again you lose self-control. and Say something unkind, harsh, unloving. Friends, it's not just what comes out of our mouth in that moment that matters. It's how, what comes out of our mouth when we respond to that moment that matters. Do we seek forgiveness? Do we repent with our words? Like The way you can tell a heart that's devoted to Jesus, one, the mouth is going to pour out praise, but when the mouth does pour out harm and hurt and harshness and unkind words, that's quick to return and repent, to pursue forgiveness, to pursue reconciliation, to confess before God. Our words reveal our pursuit or lack of pursuit of God, even yesterday, I was a personal example of failure in this. I was mowing outside and cutting the grass, and my oldest son, Jack, he wanted to come, like, check out the mower and jump on it, and I didn't want him to mess with it, and I was just unkind to him with my words, and had to come back and apologize. Repent, I'm sorry, shouldn't have said it, shouldn't have said it that way, it wasn't loving to you, wasn't kind to you. Our words reveal our heart. And then the third application, this is just really, really practical. We need to replace our words with God's word. 
you want to change the way you speak, fill your mind and fill your heart with the Word of God. Let it be in your thoughts. Let it come out of your mouth. If we want to worship and honor God with our hearts, one of the ways we do that is letting the Word fill us richly. So I know this has been heavy. Our heart's prone to religion instead of obedience. Our heart's prone to affirmation instead of devotion. It's sin. It comes from within us. Our words reveal our heart. Here's the good news. This is the last big idea. We're, we're coming to a close. Here's the good news. Only God can change the heart. And God does change the heart. God can and does change the heart. Only God can change the heart. You can't fix you. I can't fix me. But God can. And I want us not to look over these words that Jesus said that's easy just to pass by. It says in verse 12, the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Look at what Jesus says. He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, they will both fall into a pit. I don't want you to miss what Jesus says here. Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. What does that mean? Any life, going back to sower and seed, we've been walking through these parables, the sower and the seed. Anything that God's not planted will be rooted up. But what's the opposite of that's true? Any seed that God plants will bear fruit. That God does change the heart. That God does open the eyes of the blind. That's good news for us this morning. So how do we respond to this text. How do we respond? Two things have to happen. The first is this. God must give us a new heart. God must give us a new heart. You need a new heart and I need a new heart. We don't just need to be made a little bit better. We don't just need to be clean up. We don't need just some little adjustment. No, we need the old heart taken away and we need a new heart. We don't need Jesus to come inside our hearts and come live in us. We need a brand new heart. And praise be to God, this is what God does. Ezekiel 36 talks about this. And I will give you, looking ahead, a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God gives this promise that one day is going to come and God's going to give his people a new heart through Jesus. And that's why in 2 Corinthians 5.17, the Apostle Paul can say, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Brothers and sisters, God can give you a new heart. Some of us this morning need a new heart. You can't change yourself. You can't fix yourself. The only one who can is God. Trust in him. Turn to him. The second thing that we need for our heart is this, is that we need God to create within us a humble and holy heart. A humble and holy heart. If you're here and you're a Jesus follower, you're a Christian, this is what God does. He doesn't just give us a new heart, but he creates in us a heart that's continually growing in holiness and humility, seeing our need for God, a hatred for sin, and a pursuit of of him. This is why in James, James says this to the church, talking to believers, to Christians. He says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, talking to the church, and purify your hearts, 
you double-minded. Be wretched, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Friends, some of us this morning, we are Christians, but our heart has grown distracted and hard to the truths of the gospel. We need this morning for the Holy Spirit to give us a true assessment of who we are and our continual need for Christ. So the question this morning as we conclude is this, what has your heart? What has your heart? Who has your heart? What are you looking to to be your Savior and your Lord? Have you bought into the lies of religion? I need to do these things in order to be right before God. Have you bought into the lie of affirmation? As long as I say these things, I'm right before God. Have you bought into the lie that you're a good person on your own? That all the brokenness is out there and just need to stay away from it? No, it's, it's in here. It needs to be dealt with by the Spirit of God. Friends, what do your words reveal about your heart this morning? The good news is, God has sent His Son to save you, to save me. To take the heart of stone, replace it with the heart of flesh, to make us new. Would you trust Him? Would you turn to Him? Would you humble yourself before Him? Would you pray with me and team's going to come up and lead us. Fathers, we come. These are, are heavy truths, heavy realities, but we come this morning asking that you would change us. For some here this morning, they need to be made new. I pray for them this morning that they would see their need for you, that they would see that you've made a way to save them, made a way to make them right before God, made a way to make them holy saints, sons, and daughters of the King by Jesus dying in their place. I pray that you help them to trust in you this morning. For others this morning, maybe our hearts grown hard. We've gotten trapped by religion, affirmation, these other lies. But I just pray for my brothers and sisters in this room this morning that you would give us holy, humble hearts. See our need for you. See that you are good, that you've come to save us. And that we need to be like you. Create in us a, a distaste and a desire to see sin in us put to death. Create in us a desire to become more like your son. Help us to see that you see the heart. and Help us to surrender our lives, our hearts, our minds, our entire selves to you. You are worthy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.